Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and open them to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, as we look at the first few verses in a Bible study that I've entitled, Living Right in a World That's Wrong. And that is the choice that we're always faced with, right or wrong, good or bad. And as I was listening to another pastor this morning, he was reminding me of how our life is made up of the series of choices that we've made thus far which is good news because we can change the way we make decisions. The Bible says that if you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. So the seeds of life and the seeds would be represented by the decisions that you make. Those choices you make in the Spirit and toward the Spirit is going to reap. You you can't undo that. The, The benefit will be righteousness and goodness. However, if you sow to the flesh and those choices that are against God, then you're going to suffer the consequences. You can't get out from under that. The choice of right or wrong, the choice of being faithful or faithless. I mean, of course, it's an easy choice. We want to choose right. It's an easy choice. We want to choose faithfulness. We want to choose to follow God. We choose not to fall away. We choose to stand strong, not to drift away, but to steady on, to not turn away, but to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jot it down in Psalm 27, verse seven, it says, hear me as I pray, O Lord, and be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me, and my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. What an attitude to have. Now, the choice before us is often actually what stumbles us a trial here, a tribulation there, mix that in with a little laziness, lethargy. That's where the rubber meets the road, where our faith is met with challenge, when our faith is met by choice. I mean, it's easy in a controlled environment to make good choices. You know, let's say you're laid before you 10 choices for the next 10 days. Like if you were making them today, every day, well, I'd make that choice, I'd make that choice, I'd make that choice. And then there's that planning ahead, of course. But where the rubber meets the road is in the midst of it, in the moment, when the heat is on and the times are tough, when people turn against you, when false accusations are leveled against you, when the criticism comes, when people perhaps would want to destroy your life, destroy your ministry, destroy your marriage, your purity. And you go, come on, Ed, aren't you exaggerating a little bit? Not at all. Because as we turn the clock back a few thousand years, we find an episode in Daniel's life when Daniel has a testimony of righteousness. He has a testimony of making great choices. He has a testimony, as we'll see, as living above reproach and still is faced with the choice to obey or disobey as people turn on him and want to destroy him in the chapter before us. Turning away from God when all the while he's there for you. Turning away from God is always the bad decision. 
God is with us and for us, and it's always sad. One of the benefits of being in a church for an extended length of time is you get to see people grow in the grace of God. You get to see families grow. You, you get to see kids that grow up in the Lord and are serving Him and, and going for it and stepping out in faith where you met them when they were little and now you see them as they're bigger and you're just like, man, this is amazing. One of the difficulties about being in a church for a long period of time is you see a lot of people fall away. You see a lot of people turn their back on God. You see a lot of people start out strong. And, and one of the things that has been a little discouraging as we are ramping up to our time next time as we celebrate our 20 years is as I'm going through a lot of old pictures and there's a lot of old faces that aren't walking with the Lord today. A lot of people that were sitting where you were or on a mission trip with us or sharing the gospel or maybe we're a part of a big, like I saw some pictures recently of people that were a big part of building this building financially, no longer walking with the Lord. And I'm not, not speaking just no longer attending this church. It's far more than that. They, they, some of, one picture popped up in front of me today with this person has taken an atheistic approach to God. Actually, two pictures this week came up of guys that we were serving with here, ministering here, and now have taken up this. I, and I hope it's just a season in their life. I hope that they come to their senses and repent, but now they would identify themselves as atheists and anti-God. Turning away from God when all the while he's there for you is, is sad. Listen in what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. It says, if we're unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. Psalm 27.10, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. The New King James, Psalm 27.10 says, when my mother and father forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. And when we get to a chapter like Daniel 6, we're encouraged. And I believe God reserved this chapter to encourage us. Now, it's not super encouraging to see a guy uh, being attacked and seeing the wickedness, like, like the curtain is pulled back to the wickedness that many of you have seen in your life where folks have come in against you because of your faith and because of your integrity. And because Daniel was able to remain faithful in the midst of extremely trying and tough times, because he experienced the power of God to stand strong, if Daniel can do it with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you can too. And so can I. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, and remember I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So we have this wonderful true story to encourage us, to uplift us, and pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 6, where we're introduced to Darius the Mede. He decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to su supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. So we have Daniel. He's the center stage here, God's man of the hour. Daniel represents to us a sure and steady, confident, faith-filled man. Then there's Darius. He's a man that rules by convenience rather by, than by conviction. Then we have these 120 men 
these, this kingdom being divided, these high officers, or in another translation, satraps. These were Daniel's peers and subordinates, agents and messengers literally of Satan himself. And they're frustrated and furious over Daniel's faith. And might I just add here at the outset, many of you choose to take a more low-key approach to your faith because you don't want to experience what Daniel's experiencing in this chapter. Especially those of you that read ahead, you know they came against him full force. They, they came against him to the point where they went to the highest level of authority and leadership in the government to destroy him. Why? Because of his testimony, because of his faithfulness, because of his commitment to the Lord. Over a long period of time, his life frustrated the unbeliever. His life frustrated and brought anger to those that had no connection to God. God's favor was upon Daniel. And God's favor is upon you as you abide in him. You, you are a favored man and a favored woman in Christ. And don't think for a moment that you won't draw out from people an anger or even so a jealousy. And jealousy is just a wicked emotion. It leads to some of the worst decisions in a person's life as they're jealous over, or as perhaps you're jealous as you see someone have something you want, a title, a position, a possession. There will be, church, people around us that come against us as we attempt to live a righteous life in an unrighteous world. You can't get around it. We will have peers that come against us, family that comes against us, bosses that come against us, subordinates that come against us, people that think that they should have what you have, people that think they should have your job, your position, your car, your house, your marriage, your kids, on and on the list goes. Jealousy and covetousness are wicked. And sometimes the only motive is not anything that you have. It's just that you're a believer. And it seems like nothing bothers you. And there you have a sure and steady faith. And isn't there that sense sometimes where people will look at a believer that might examine your life or carefully examine your life and go, you never go through anything. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, yep, everything's fine with me. I never face any hardship. And, and because of that, because of that false conclusion, they come against you. Just because you're a believer, they have a hard time with your life. And it's only a matter of time. Listen, it's only a matter of time that their hard time becomes your hard time in short order, in a very real way. So Daniel here in verse 1, where we, well, excuse me, Darius here in verse 1 is the new leader and he has taken over in the Babylonian kingdom has fallen as it was predicted. Darius the Mede comes and decides to rearrange the government and he appoints 120 provinces and puts a high officer to rule over each, pro each province. And then verse two it says the king chose Daniel. He chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise, so immediately put in a position of supervision. They, he supervises all the other high officers and he, noticed was there to protect the king's interest. Why? Because Daniel was a trustworthy man. The king could trust Daniel. That was, you know, remember now, Daniel is carrying over from one government to the next. And he was carrying over from one. And, and don't think of it just like in our democratic government. This was a huge thing to have one government, one ruled world ruler fall and have the conquering kingdom come in their place. And yet Daniel's integrity passed 
beyond the leadership. And it says in verse 3, check this out, you might want to mark this, Daniel soon proved himself more capable. In the New King James, he was a distinguished man. In 539 BC, with the fall of Babylon, Darius the Mede receives the kingdom. As he surveyed the kingdom for those men to help lead and rule, Daniel stood out. There was something noticeably different about him. We could say that his faith and his relationship with God changed him and marked him. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, it says this, Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? That's good. In the New King James, it's translated, Most men will proclaim each their own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Well, whoever's looking for a faithful man or a faithful woman, let you be the one they find. You know, I think of that passage where the Bible speaks about the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for that person that he will show himself faithful on behalf of. And my prayer always when I'm reminded of that is, Lord, let your eyes stop here. Let us be found faithful men and women that you can entrust to us the portions of your kingdom that you would want to expand starting right here in this little church. That we would be found the faithful ones, not the unfaithful ones, Now, anyone in a position of leadership can tell you this, and you don't have to be in a position of leadership for very long. That's true in the church or in the corporate world. doesn't matter. Wherever you are, any position of leadership, with a little bit of observation, it's easy to see the faithful ones. There are characteristics that are shown in the faithful ones as much as there are characteristics shown in those that are unfaithful. And so here's Daniel. He proved himself more capable. I don't believe, with the tone of the English here, I don't believe that Daniel set out to prove himself. I don't think he took a big burden upon himself to say, I will show Darius what a faithful man I am. I think that Daniel's life proved that he was a faithful man. I don't think he had to, I'm going to show them. But rather, he lived his life in such a way that he was a follower of the one true God and he experienced the favor of God, continued to live in the favor of God. I can't help but think of Joseph, another man that had the favor of God upon him, no matter what he faced, no matter what he came against. And, And each time there was a great temptation, Joseph passed with flying colors. We'll see by the time we end chapter six in a future study that Daniel too passes the tests that come to faithful men. You may think today that tests only come to the unfaithful or that big tests only come to those that need their faith challenge. No, tests also come to faithful men and women so that you and I might learn to go from glory to glory, strength to strength, that our relationship with God goes from faith to faith where God is building us. He's building our faith and building our faith through what? Through trials, through testings, through things that are outside of our control. And many times we look back and we say, oh Lord, you were so faithful even when I was faithless. In verse three, notice, not only did he prove himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers, but also notice because of Daniel's great ability, his excellent spirit. By this time, you know, there's estimates that Daniel's in his high 80s, early 90s. He's been around for a while. And we would think by now that a man in his 80s or 90s would by now be drawing Social Security and in full retirement mode. 
I put my time in. No more government work, and I, I've had enough of all the government drama. I've had enough of being used by God. I've done my time. But with his years of his experience, he only wanted to serve God more. And I've come to learn in my own life, even though I'm, uh, those years might be still a little bit up ahead, I'm closer to him now than I ever have been before, but for the believer in Jesus Christ, there's no real retirement what do you exactly retire from? Let's just say you've dedicated your entire life pouring into business, pouring into a retirement 401k and, and you're ready and then you finally get to the place where you can claim it and take it. Well, what God is giving you is a gift that no longer do you have to spend all those hours a day, Monday through Friday, maybe six, seven days a week, serving at work and going into the office, but now God is gifting you all those hours to serve him in a greater capacity. And you might be dreaming about having a nice non-alcoholic drink on the beach somewhere on one of the islands of Hawaii one day. Perhaps you will, but in the Lord. Not to get away from service, but to press into deeper service. I know, I know some of the motive is, man, I'm going to work hard, work hard, because I'm counting the days until I retire. You know, one of the brothers here just moved away, Gregory. Gregory is a faithful man in the church for many, many years. You, you probably don't see him around anymore. He's that noticeable. Uh, and he, he's moved on. I think he moved to, to Kentucky. He retired. And I remember he stalled a little bit. And I'm sure if you're watching, Gregory, how you doing? You're staying up late in Kentucky, but we're glad you're joining us. And so Gregory, was, he worked for the post office. And he worked at the main day. And I remember that a few years ago, he was so excited. I'm ready to retire, Ed. I'm done. I put my time in until he sat down with the retirement administrator and found out he didn't have enough money. And they're like, oh, man. So what did he do? He kept working for another, I think he had another five years to do. And then he put in his five years, and it was a real sad thing uh, to say goodbye to him. He launched off. They went. They, they have a house in Kentucky now. And I got a text not too long ago that he's not sitting around remodeling his house and getting things ready, although he's a master woodworker. And he put a lot, you know, the offering boxes around the, the sanctuary he built with his own hands. I showed him a picture, and he was able to make them exactly like the picture. And, and he's done a lot of work around the church when he was here. You know what he's doing now? He's got a full-time ministry that God has put into his lap, lap going into the Kentucky jails and prisons. And it's so exciting to see what God is doing in his life that now with this extra time and, you know, really, he's really, he's worked a, a long, hard career, but now he has this extra hours. He put his extra hours in the evening serving here in the church, but now he's plugged into a new fellowship and he's got a brand new, he, he didn't do that while he was here. He didn't do that to the extent that he's doing it now. And now he's going in and he's like, I'm getting prayer requests. I'm getting texts every week about new prayer requests about the prisoners in Kentucky. You don't retire, church. You go, Ed, that's not nice. Why are you telling me that? I just wanted to retire. Look, step away from where you earned your money. Take your 401k and serve the Lord. Jump in to see what God would have in this new season of your life. Don't think that just because you're reaching a certain age, let me speak to another group. Like, don't think that just because you're reaching a certain age that you're not wanted by the church, that you're not needed by the church, that God is done with you. To go, well, you know, or, you know, some of the attitude is, well, I'll just leave it to the, I, I don't have the energy like I did, when I was, I'll just leave it to the young ones. Well, the young ones will run circles around us while we're faithful doing what God's called us to do. God wants to use the next generation and the generation behind that and the generation behind that, but he also wants to use your generation. Like God doesn't give, okay, well, as soon as you're at a certain age, that's it. 
you're done. We're done with you. And I know sometimes because the next, as the gospel is being handed off to those that are younger than us, and they're given more opportunity, and they're making changes, and they're adapting to their culture, those that might be older think, oh, you're leaving me behind. But you would be wrong. Nobody's leaving you behind. You're still just as needed as you ever have been in the body of Christ. God is not done with you yet. Maybe things change. Maybe you go in a new direction. Maybe God opens doors because you have a different timetable. But God wants to use those that are younger than us. God wants to use those that are older than us until our last breath on the earth. Listen, Proverbs chapter 20, verse 29. The glory of the young is their strength, but the gray hair of experience is the splendor of the old. Job 12, 12. Wisdom belongs to the aged and understanding to the old. Job 32, verse 7. I thought those who are older should speak, for wisdom comes with age. Psalm 92, verse 12. The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. And check this out. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit and they will remain vital and green. So if anybody's in here, I won't look. Anybody of old age, say amen. Amen. (laughs) I didn't look, but I know who you are. (laughs) Because I'm looking now. It's a good thing to be used by the Lord at a young age. And it's a good thing to be used by God in middle age. And it's a good thing to be used by God in old age. Those of you that are older, those of you that have been walking with the Lord for quite some time, you bring knowledge and you bring wisdom and you bring understanding and you bring experience and you bring mistakes and you bring recovery and you, and you bring so much to the table to present to God to be used by him. So submit yourself to him, how God wants to use you. You hear Daniel is in his 80s, perhaps even 90s. Notice now verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. You want that on your review at work, don't you? That's just, what do they say? You're completely trustworthy, always responsible, and faithful. And notice, this was not in his relationship with God. This was in his governmental affairs. This was his job. They were looking for a fault in the way he handled his job. How important it is that we learn that whatever we do, in word or deed, we do it as unto the Lord. We don't do it as under our supervisor or under our boss or under our vice president or under the corporation or the stockholders or whatever they're telling you in your meetings. We're not doing it because the customer is always right. We're not doing it to build our business or to make a lot of money. Whatever we do, believers, in word or deed, we're to do it as unto the Lord. And that's a higher standard, not a lesser standard. That's the higher standard except that sometimes it's mistaken for a lower standard because you don't experience consequences right away with the Lord. With your job, I remember in the positions I held before I got into management, every single move I made was watched by the company. 
I plugged into a computer and I, all my keystrokes, everything, what time I did something, what time I didn't do something. If I made a mistake, they could go back into the computer. If I said something wrong, every word I said was taped. Of all the conversations, you're working in the 911 business, they tape everything. Everything I did all day. What time I showed up, what time I left, what time I took a break, what time I got back, what time of lunch, everything I did was watched. And that's how they handle things. And so sometimes people develop a habit to, they, they work for the clock. You ever work with anyone that is known as a clock watcher? <laughs> a clock watcher. And that's the, whatever you do in word or deed, do unto the clock. That's not what the Bible says. Or the computer reports that got spit out every week and I had to answer for all the, all the things that I did and my numbers and my percentages and all that. Do whatever you, as unto the Lord, I mean, excuse me, whatever you do in word or deed, do unto the reports. No, it's to the Lord. But because you don't get a judgment so quickly when you kind of interpret what you think the Lord wants you to do. Like if you ever had a job where you had to be on time and clock in, do you think God has a lower standard than that? Oh, just come in whenever you want. Call it ministry. Take an extra break in the break room. Well, I'm sharing the gospel. On whose time? You've been in there for an hour. Yeah, but I'm doing the Lord's work. Really? Do you think as unto the Lord means you would take from your employer? That you would take literally their money? Do you think God is that weak that he can't use you in five minutes to develop a relationship that you could take after work? Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord. And if you choose not to do it under the Lord, you'll find a testimony that's different than Daniel's. You won't be known as the one that proved yourself more capable. You won't be the one that as people are beginning to search for fault, they're going to find him. It's going to be obvious. For them, they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. But what's interesting to me is that there's a group of people that bind together they bound themselves together to find a fault in a man, in a man of God. They literally set out to find something wrong. It's almost like they you know, hired a, today we would look at that and go, maybe they hired a, a, a private investigator digging through your trash, checking your logs with Comcast because they got a friend there, checking the internet logs with Quest and what they have there or CenturyLink and, and finding that, man, information, maybe finding your phone, you left it on one of the chairs and they were able to open it up and go, oh wow, look what this brother's been doing. Look what he's been involved in. Digging through the trash, sending spies. However they were looking in Daniel's life, they did a deep, deep look and they came up empty and they couldn't find anything. You want to know why they couldn't find anything? Because there was nothing to find. <laughs> Isn't that great? They couldn't find anything because there was nothing to find. You know the Bible has a phrase for that. Would you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3? I want to spend some time reaffirming what the Bible teaches us about being above reproach. Would you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul the Apostle is teaching young Timothy how to find leaders in the church. What are the principal characteristics? And, and you'll notice that the things that he mentions in chapter 3, which we won't look at, I encourage you to read it later in its entirety, the things that he mentions are not skills, 
in more than they are character traits. Because God uses a man or a woman with deep character. A character that's committed to the Lord. A character that reflects God. Notice in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, This is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, some of you might th- remember that phrase as bishop. And the word is overseer. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position or a good work. It's a good thing to want that position of leadership. So notice verse 2. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. Above reproach. These are key areas for the person that wants to lead in God's church. This church leader this person that takes an oversight or an overseeing position in God's church. It could be a position of elder. It could be the position of pastor. It could be the position of home Bible study leader, Sunday school teacher. You'll find this position of church leader translates well in leadership in the world. These are characteristics that would be good on any job in any place. That you take a position of leading people, what, to Jesus, overseeing their souls. If you desire this, it's an honorable position. And it's a good work. It requires work. It's a good thing to oversee the ministry. It's a good thing to take a position of leadership. It's a good thing to want to grow and help others grow in Jesus. And it's an awesome thing to be used by God. But be careful. Because those of you that desire to serve in deeper capacities might consider it just a position or just a title. And it's not just an honorable position, but rather it's a good work. It's not, you're not desiring a good salary. You're not desiring a good retirement plan or good benefits or a corner office. It's not a profession serving in God's church. It's a place of ministry or service. Let's hold your place in Timothy. Turn over to 2 Corinthians now, chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Lest we be confused of what is involved in serving God's people or what's involved like in Daniel's life. Daniel, a man who has a stellar reputation. He has a lifetime of exemplary service. That His life is so above reproach, so beyond accusation that when they look for things in his life, they find nothing to criticize or condemn. That ministry will not be easy. Would you pick up with me in verse 16? And let's see a list of, at least from Paul's perspective, what ministry, what oversight, what leadership, what service meant to him. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 16, he says, again, I say, don't think that I'm a fool to talk like this, but, but even if I do, if you do, listen to me, as you would to a foolish person, while I also boast a little. Such boasting is not from the Lord, but I'm acting like a fool. And since others boast about their human achievements, I will too. After all, you think you're so wise but you enjoy putting up with fools. You put up with it when someone enslaves you and takes everything from you. 
takes advantage of you, takes control of everything and slaps you in the face. I'm ashamed to say that we've been too weak to do that. But whatever they dare to boast about, I'm talking like a fool again, I dare boast about it too. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I know I sound like a madman, but I've served him far more. I've worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number. I faced death again and again. Five different times, verse 24, the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as from the Gentiles. I faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, on the seas. I faced danger from men who claim to be believers and are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. And then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without feeling that weak, my feeling that weakness? And who's led astray that I don't burn with anger? If I must boast, I'd rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. That God the Father of our Lord Jesus, who's worthy of eternal praise, knows that I'm not lying. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Eridus kept guards at the city gates to catch me. And I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in a city wall to escape from him. Paul being attacked by these false teachers and being accused of many things because of his love for the church laid out a list of, have you forgotten what I've gone through for the gospel? Have you forgotten the price that I've paid to follow Jesus? We don't happen to live in a culture that values sacrifice. We don't happen to live in a culture that values self-sacrifice. It's always give and take. If I give, I want something back in return. But the way of the Lord is different. Remember, Jesus said, you know how the world leads, but it won't be that way among you. Because the place of leadership is the place of service and commitment and in many, many ways, pain. Be careful, those that desire to serve the desire to follow God with all your heart. Your testimony one day, one way or the other, is going to bring about this test of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. And that is, is your life above reproach? Another translation, it speaks of blameless. Is your life blameless? Now, as we listen to that in the English, we're like, forget about it. None of us can lead because none of us are blameless. And certainly the word isn't reflecting and, in, and insinuating in any way that anyone that serves is perfect, that anyone that serves will be perfect, hasn't made a mistake or two or three, hasn't said something they regret. The idea of the list is not to disqualify, but to qualify, to become a prayer list in your life. We all know that we're not blameless, but here's the phrase, this above reproach, blamelessness. Here's the intent. This is something to take to heart that we see in Daniel's life. And I quote, this is what it literally means, that there's nothing that you are holding on to in your life that you know is absolutely wrong 
and refuse to deal with it through repentance. Another idea of blameless is that when accusations come, and they will, be sure of it, that they won't stick because of the manner of your life. That anything that would stick would have to be outright lies. And you go, wait a minute, Ed. Do you think people will lie about me? We remember in the life of Jesus, the perfect man, God in human flesh, they literally hired people to lie about Jesus. They took his words and twisted them. And one of the most difficult parts of serving people is how people will treat you, some of them. How they'll bring accusations in your life. But a life that's above reproach is that when accusations come, nothing will stick to you. They'll come. And a man that can't deal with his own sin is disqualified in dealing with and ministering to men with sin in their lives. If you're incapable of dealing with the sin in your own life, which we all have, you're incapable of being honest and open and repentant about the things. And remember, repentance is a turning away from your sin. It's a growing. It's a progress. It's growing in Christ-likeness. It's cooperating in obedience with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. A man that's unable to deal with his own sin has in a place of disqualification of dealing with the sin of others. And today it's important that we're reminded, come back to Daniel with me, it's important that we're reminded to make wise decisions because the culmination of our life as it stands today is a result of all the decisions we've made to this point. And it's never too late to change your mind to follow God. It's never too late to make different decisions. You're like, well, Ed, I'm here today for a series of bad decisions. Well, today's the day you choose to make good decisions, to honor God with your life. To know that you're like, like you're just like you aren't fooling anybody by holding on to sin in your life. Well, Ed, you don't know. Well, you're not fooling me because I'm not the one to fool. You're fooling yourself. Your life, like, isn't the Bible is very clear. The Bible says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it as unto Ed. No, it doesn't say that. So you're not fooling me. If you've stopped at me, you're in the wrong place. No, it's what you do is unto the Lord. Not, not some low-level place where you go, well, I'm okay and I've got it all arranged and, and nobody's found out. And mark this word. Nobody's found out yet. Because the Bible's clear, nothing hidden that won't be revealed, won't be shouted to the rooftops. That's an above reproach. Not a perfect life. Not a life without failure, not a life without mistakes. Of course, we all are frail, weak human beings. But a life that when accusation comes like Daniel, that you have the same testimony that Daniel has. They couldn't find anything. I love that. I love that. I, I, I always like to take the Bible and filter it through my life. And once again, as we're getting nostalgic about how many years I've been here, I, I've been here long enough to face a lot of accusations in my life. And with the invention of social media, there's the invention of new accusations and weirdness and guys sitting in their basement making videos about all kinds of accusations. But praise God for the integrity of his Holy Spirit in my life. That I don't stand here as a perfect man, 
But I believe at this point in my life, this moment right now, my life is above reproach. It's a good place to, that, that sense of blamelessness, not perfection, but blamelessness, is a good pillow to rest your head on at night. And go, oh Lord, they're saying this and they said this. And you know, sometimes the difficulty of accusations actually isn't the accusation. It's when people you know believe them without coming to talk to you. Or people that believe them. Anybody been on the other end of accusations or is it just Ed Taylor here? Anybody? Isn't it a bummer when people believe them and they never talk to you? Oh, I heard this about you. Bro, like you were with me when that happened. You know that didn't happen. Yeah, but uh, you know, it was a great video on YouTube. And it's like, what? And that's a painful thing. That's part of the, per, that's part of the issue. Like Daniel's not in church. Daniel's not in church. He's just living life. Faithful to where God placed him. Faithful unto the Lord where God placed him. And he's got his critics. And he's got his snoopers. And he's got his people digging through his trash and trying to find something about how he handles his life. And he couldn't find anything. I love that. You just mark that in verse 4. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Let me pause here as we wind down. That doesn't mean they didn't try. They did try. They did attempt. They aren't going to end here with the point where they couldn't find it. God's testimony of him at the end of verse 4 was he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. That's above reproach. Above reproach is he is faithful, he is always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And so there concluded, verse 5, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Now they get nasty. Notice verse 6. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. You know what they're doing? They're buttering their bread. They're buttering him up for the kill. Verse 7. We are all in agreement. Is that true? Yes or no? Yes or no? Are we all in agreement? No, they can't be because Daniel's not there. So they're not, it's not even speaking the truth. They're not all in agreement. Daniel's not there. Now, I guess you can make a point where maybe the guys that are criticizing, but that's not how they're presenting it to the king. They're presenting it to the king as if, hey, everyone, even Daniel knows he's failing in this area. So check this out. It says, we are all in agreement, administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone... Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions because we really want to take down Daniel. That's what we're doing. No, it doesn't say that. So we're all in agreement. Daniel's not there. But he, we're all in agreement. All of us think this. You should be God for 30 days. That's basically what they're telling him. You have the authority to declare that you're God for 30 days and nobody can pray to anything or anyone but you. And now, verse 8, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. And so King Darius signed the law. The governmental system of the Medes and the Persians was different than the Babylonian system. The Babylonian system was an absolute monarchy. 
so that the king, like Nebuchadnezzar, could make a decision and change it arbitrarily. But as we'll see and explain a little more next time, with the weakness of Darius, once he makes a decision, you'll see, read ahead, as we get to in the next part of the chapter, he couldn't revoke it. And he was bound by it, even after he found out that Daniel wasn't a part of it. It's really important, guys, when somebody comes to you with an accusation that you don't believe just one side of the story. The Bible says it's a foolish thing. The first one to plead his case sounds right until his neighbor comes and reproves him. The Bible declares to us that there is always two sides. And then there's the wisdom of God, like the wisdom he gave to Solomon to discern. Relationships are crushed this way. Reputations are ruined. Even with men and women that live above reproach. And so be careful with accusations. But secondly, be careful in your own life so that when accusations come, they won't stick. So that when someone comes, hey, you know, so-and-so said this about you, what do you think? And you go, man, that's not anywhere near the truth. We should talk to so-and-so and and get this straightened out. You should be careful with so-and-so because they're not telling you the truth. Daniel lived as he proved himself, his life proved himself more capable. He had great ability. They began searching for some fault, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. Why? Because he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. That's how we live right in a world that's wrong. Faithfulness from the Lord. Responsibility. We're not doing it for a promotion, although a promotion may come. We're not doing it for a raise, although the world does value these things and you may get a raise out of it. We're not doing it for a title or to move up the corporate ladder, although that may be indeed what God has for you, to be in a place of a greater, greater responsibility. No, rather, we're, whatever we do in word or deed, we do it how? As unto the Lord. And so, Father, that's our desire. We want to be like Daniel, encouraged by these descriptions in his life. We want to be above reproach. I pray for those that right now might be under accusation, that might be, you know, lies spread about them or text messages sent or things on Facebook or video, whatever, whatever, whatever the tactics of the enemy are. I pray for those that are facing false accusations, that the people receiving them would not believe them and would shut it down and get the facts. I know that in my life, every time someone's done that with me, it's ended very well. It's ended well with a life that's not perfect, but a life above reproach. And I just pray for that supernatural power among us tonight, that we would live above reproach, that we would not be hiding anything, that we would not be dabbling with sin or living in unrepentance. I pray tonight, God, that there might just be a hard heart among us, hard heart watching online or on the radio, that you would bring conviction of sin, revealing yourself in all of your goodness, that there might be a conviction of sin and a turning away that we might be free, not sowing seeds to the flesh, but rather seeds toward the Spirit of God. And thank you, God, for your saving, protecting power, for being our defense. And thank you, God, for using us at every age, no matter what our age might be, You're not done with us until you call us home. 
And that's proof because you haven't called us home, you're not done with us. And thank you for a testimony like Gregory or I think of Tyra and Les as they give, us, give me reports from their time in South Carolina and, and as they're in the retirement years, jumping into more ministry. May they continue to be, or I think of Bob and Jeannie, Lord, in the years that they've served and as they're jumping into more ministry, not less, that God, you gave them the word that their latter years would be more fruitful than their earlier years. May we embrace those examples you've set before us to run our race with joy all the way to the finish line. And I pray, God, for those that might be weary today and tired. They're tired of the accusations. They're tired of the difficulties. They're tired of the hardships. They're tired of the list that you might be developing like you did in Paul's life, and they're ready to quit. May you give them that hupomone, that endurance, to steady on one more moment, one more day. A day becomes a week. A week becomes a month. A month becomes a year. And you're glorified as we stand in your enduring, persevering strength. So have your way with us, Lord, as we worship you and head out into the rest of our week, learning that whatever we do in word or deed, we're going to do it as unto you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.